You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Please have your seats, everyone, and thanks for being here today. If we haven't met before, my name's John, and I get to serve uh, as one of the pastors in our church. I work primarily with our evening service, uh, young adult service on Sunday nights, and uh, with community groups in different areas, and so... I'll just say I'm here today. If you, if you haven't been able to find a community group you want to talk to somebody, please come talk to me. Uh, it's such an amazing way to be involved in our church. We're going to be talking about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we've been in a series for the last while, about last eight weeks or so, um, talking about the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus' sermon that he gave to his disciples on the Mount Uh, In his sermon, Jesus talks about a new way of being human, a new way of thinking. And I don't know if you know this, but that's actually what the word repentance means. You know, we think, oh, repentance, right? Turn or burn. But that's that's not at all what (laughs) repentance really means. Repentance means, it's the word metanoia, which means think again. Think anew. Pick up a new way of thinking. So when we're, when we're following Jesus and living into his way of thinking, we're not only putting down our old way of thinking, we're picking up a new way of thinking. When we follow Jesus and start to act like him and be like him, we're not only putting down our old ways of acting and living, we're picking up a new way of acting and thinking. And so when Jesus says, you, you beautiful soul, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Jesus is speaking to that metanoia people. He's speaking to a people that are thinking anew with Jesus. We want to follow him. We're so, we're so excited about what he's telling us, and it seems new. It seems different. And so when Jesus says to us, to us who would listen to him, um, who would follow him, Here's a new way to be human. And this is what it is. You are. You are salt. (laughs) And you are light. You are salt and you are light. This is Jesus' way of saying, you are so, man, I'm just thinking of all you guys here. Up top, I can't see some of you, but you are so much more than you think you are. You are so, so much more than you think you are. You are salt and light. And so the way that our passage is laid out is actually just how we're going to follow our sermon. Um, I want to explore what it means to be salt and light in the book of Matthew. And we see Jesus give people this title, and they act in three ways. So we're going to take the next 40 minutes and walk through these points. Salt and light people, number one, in verses 11 through 12, align with Jesus. Salt and light people also identify as salt and light. Verses 13 and 14. And lastly, salt and light people experience transforming union with God. This is what it means to be a salt and light person. Jesus tells us, and so we're going to kind of jump in and see what's going on. So, what does it mean to align with Jesus? Verses 11 and 12. Who is Jesus talking to when he says, you are salt and light? Who's he talking to? Is it just anybody? Anybody walking by his sermon as he's preaching? Just people coming in from the teddy bear picnic? Is he talking to just anybody? Who's he talking to? Yeah, to the disciples. And we don't actually have to look far uh, in Scripture. It shows us exactly who. 
It's not just a general who, but in verses 11 and 12, uh, we can see how these passages are connected. I don't know how it is in your Bible, but in my Bible, there's a, there's a, big, um, there's a big heading in between verses 12 and 13. Is it like that in yours? Mine says, disciples of the world. But you know what? That's superficial. That wasn't always there. When Matthew wrote that, he didn't put a heading in there. Okay? Matthew wanted us to see the connection between verse 11, 12, and 13. And it's important because we're, me- we're meant to read them together. So let's do that. It says in verse 11, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of your personality. No, because of me. I'm just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And so when we see, uh, when we read it together, it's kind of obvious, right? We read it together, but with a break, it can be a bit confusing. Jesus says to the persecuted ones, right? He says to the ones who have been maligned, to the ones who have been lied about, to the ones who have had to endure poor judgment of others on account of Jesus, to the ones who have been misunderstood because of our association with him, he says to them, He says, you, you are, you're blessed. You're blessed when you stand with me. You know why you're blessed? Because I'm standing right there with you. You're blessed when you associate yourself with me. This is Jesus' way of saying you're never alone when you choose to align your life with mine. Salt and light people align with Jesus regardless of consequences. (laughs) Okay? Whether people are going to persecute you, whether they're going to malign you, whether they're going to lie about you, you're going to gossip about you, they're going to, you're going to lose a job over it, you're going to lose friends over it, you're going to lose association over it, you're going to lose prominence over it. Jesus says you're blessed. And, and what's more, you're salt and you're light. Blessed are you when you align with me. Salt and light people align with Jesus regardless of the consequences. And salt and light people align with Jesus as Savior and Lord. You know, I think um, if I can say as a pastor uh, and just plainly as a Christian, as somebody trying to follow Jesus in my own life, I think sometimes we come up with an odd understanding of what it means to align our life with God. We have these weird ideas of how aligned we need to be. Let me explain what I mean. There's things that we like about Jesus. We like, uh, we like his love. We like his acceptance of us. We like his forgiveness. We like how he is with children. We like how he is with poor people. But there's also things that we don't like that kind of ask too much of us. Things like his views on sexuality. We don't like Jesus. Our culture doesn't like Jesus' view on sexuality, that marriage is between a man and a woman. And that's where sex happens. That's, that's hard to hear in our culture. We don't like Jesus' views on generosity, calling us to give more of ourselves and sacrifice. We don't like Jesus' views on selflessness in, in a way of living for others to the benefit of others, not ourselves. And so I think we have an odd understanding of what it means to align our life with Jesus because, man, if you're like me, you tend to pick and choose when, when your life aligns with Jesus and when you're kind of working on it, Right? I'm working on it. But as soon as we begin to choose and pick, 
It's game over, right? We're choosing some, we're actually choosing someone or something over him. We're not aligning our life with him. So let me give you an example of what that looks like, okay? It means that we need to follow Jesus as Savior and Lord. That's not a trite way of talking about God. That's not just a quick formula. These are, these are specific designates for Jesus. And it accurately describes how we follow him as Savior and Lord together. Okay, these things are inseparable. As inseparable as a name. Okay, so if I were to come to your house, and I was, as, if I came to Mark's house and I was pounding on the door and I'm outside Mark's house. I'm like, Mark, I got, I got your favorite pizza place. I'm outside. Let me in. Let's have some dinner together. It's, uh, it's John Fortune, man. Let me in. And Mark yells out the door. He's like, oh, pizza. Perfect. Yeah, John, you can come in, but fo- the fortune's got to stay out. Okay? It, what? You can't do that. Yeah, John, you could come in, but, you know, your background with your family and everything, just keep it outside, man. Just keep it. But that's who I am, and, he, and I can't come inside without all of me, right? You can't come into this place without bringing all of you. You can't align with Jesus with just some of him and not the rest of him. I wonder in your life what that looks like. If you just, you know, for some of us, we like that Jesus, is, we like his saving love. We, we love that saving love. We want that relationship with God but we don't want his ruling lordship. We don't like the way of being a Christian. We'd rather define that for ourselves. Or maybe others, we don't, we're really uncomfortable with like this intimate relationship with God. We don't like the lovey-dovey stuff, but we like the, we like the way that Jesus wants us to live our lives. So we try and pick that and we, and we put off the savior part. We try and embrace the Lord The people who Jesus calls salt and light are those who align with him as Savior and Lord, okay? That always goes together. That's inseparable. That takes me to my second point for today. As salt and light, people identify as salt and light. Uh, It's important to dig into the imagery that Jesus uses. This, This is strange imagery. Why would Jesus call me? the salt of the earth? Why would he call you the light of the world? Um, we want to talk, I want to talk for a little bit about verses 13 and 14. So let's read it again. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has become tasteless, how, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, right? For cars to drive on. That's the only use it has. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. And so here we're invited, yes, to align with Jesus, okay, to say, I'm, I'm standing with you when I'm aligned. I'm standing with you when people talk crap about me. I'm standing with you. But we're also invited to identify as he chooses us. Identify as Jesus chooses to describe it as salt and light. He says, you, you amazing, amazing soul. You are so much more than you think you are. You're not just you. You are salt. You are light. How is that an upgrade, right? Let's talk about that. Jesus would say to us, in the new way to be human, you must think anew about what it means to be in the world and follow me. Here in this world, Jesus tells us that you are the salt of the earth. 
You are the light of the world. And Jesus is inviting us into a new identity to, to identify differently. I, I think, you know, 30 years ago, this would have been a stretch. But for us to start to think about identifying differently shouldn't be that much of a stretch for us. We see this all the time in our culture. People identify as a different person. People identifying as a different gender. People identifying as a different this or that. Different sexuality. So, so in our culture, Jesus is speaking into our time and place. He's saying, as you choose how to identify yourself, listen to what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. You are salt and light. Jesus speaks into our, our, our identity. He says, don't identify aimlessly about your destiny. You don't know. You don't even know what you are. Identify with what I'm telling you. You don't know of, if you try to identify as this person or that person, as this, this way of life or that way of life, if it's going to give you inner peace. But I'm telling you, if you identify as I'm telling you, if you identify as salt and light, there you will find everything you're looking for. Jesus would say, trust me. I'm the, I'm the loving Savior. Trust me, I'm the wise Lord. Or would you rather, would you rather trust in a, a political faction? Would you rather trust in people who are, who are there trying to split your identity apart to make money off of you? Don't trust these people. You won't find inner peace on the inside. You won't find it there. You need to receive it from the outside. You need to receive it from me. Man, you are so much more than you think you are. You're the very salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. And that's your identity. And that's Jesus' invitation to us to come and think anew with him, to think about who I am as a Christian, as a person, as, as a human soul, as salt and as light. Daughter of God, you are salt. You, you are salt. Son of God, you are light. You are salt. I think nowadays calling somebody um, salty didn't, didn't mean the exact same thing as it meant back then, right? So a little bit, we're a little bit lost for that. Um, when I think of a salty person, I think of Mr. Heckles. You guys know Mr. Heckles? Do you remember him? Does anybody still watch that show? Okay. Mr. Heckles was Monica and Rachel's, no, you know, grouchy neighbor. He's always banging on the walls with a, with a broom, always telling them, be quiet, keep it down, keep it down. And we would describe Mr. Heckles, although he's got a pretty cool vibe going there, actually. But <laughs> we would describe him as a salty person. Uh, that's not what Jesus means when he says that you're salt, okay? Salt has many, 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 many uses, okay? Salt, and I'll just go through a few of them. Salt is essentially different. Salt is essentially different from whatever it is salting. It's very different from the thing that you put the salt upon. Jesus is saying, if the salt, very simply, okay? This isn't rocket scientists, science. <laughs> if the salt loses its essence of being salt, it's useless, okay? Salt's very useful. Um, salt is essentially different. And what we can gather from this is Jesus is saying that it, what it means to follow him is that to be Christian means, essentially, to be different. It means to be different. It means that the Christian is a separate, unique, outstanding kind of person. It means that they have something remarkably different about them, very simply. It also, we also see of salt that it enhances flavor. 
right? Jesus, in a way, you know, I would, I would pause it. I would guess that Jesus is saying, you're not only different, you're the flavor of the earth. You give savor to all things. You enhance the good flavors and you accentuate the beautiful realities of this creation. You're the salt. Do you see how Jesus is speaking identity into us? You know, I remember when I uh, first started barbecuing. You know, I'm a young dad now. I gotta be good at barbecuing. And... Um, I got, I got a barbecue, I got my grill, I got it running super hot, I watched Bobby Flay on repeat, I knew exactly how to get the grill marks down, I, you know, all of the things, I bought the right meat, I put it on the grill, I had dinner, I was very, very proud of the steak that I made, and I made it, and it was, it was okay, you know, it was good. I was like, yeah, it's not quite the keg, but, you know, it's, it's not bad. It's cheaper, right? And then I went to uh, Tiffany's family's house, we, went, we had a family dinner, and her dad uh, made this steak, and I just could not believe how good it tasted. <laughs> I was like, what is he doing differently? What on earth is, you know, how is he that much better at making steak than me? It's not that hard, you know? <laughs> and he pulls out this, this magic box of salt <laughs> called Maldon Specialty Salt Flakes, okay? And it was incredible, and I, I use this stuff on, on steaks, and it's amazing. And this salt uh, enhances the flavor of the meat without drowning it in Montreal spices like I was, okay? So it enhances the flavor that's actually in the meat. It does a good thing. This is what salt did for people back then and for us today. Salt also uh, preserves. Salt preserves from decay. Uh, Writing on this teaching of Jesus, a medical doctor who turned pastor, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, wrote this. He said, the principal function of salt is to preserve and to act as an antiseptic. Take, for instance, a piece of meat. There are certain germs on its surface, perhaps in its very substance, which have been derived from the animal or from the atmosphere, and there's a danger of its becoming putrid. He keeps going. The business of the salt, which is rubbed into the meat, is to preserve it against those agencies that are tending $15 word here, to its putrefaction. This is what, and then what he says in reflection, he says, I wonder how often we conceive of ourselves in this way. As agents in the world meant to prevent this particular process of putrefaction and decay. Do you think of yourself that way? As somebody who prevents the decay? Jesus says you're the salt. How often do we as individual followers of Jesus see ourselves as salt of the earth, meant to preserve humanity from the ethical, moral, social, and economic downturn it inevitably faces, the decays we inevitably live in? How can we be a part of it? Jesus says, you're salt. We're in the world. Christians shouldn't... (laughs) Christians shouldn't forget about the world, right? That's the mistake we made with the monastic reform, is that we left the world alone. Christians, shouldn't Christians look at themselves as this? As people who prevent decay? As people who prevent decay in daily lives and interactions? Think about your neighbor. Does anyone like your neighbor? Does anyone love them? Maybe not. Could you love them? Imagine the the prevent of decay that would occur in their inner life if you showed love to your neighbor. Shouldn't we seek to preserve the world 
which God has placed us in. I, w- I really do wish I could spend more time on this, but I'll just say quickly, Jesus, who identifies us as salt and light, actually doesn't just leave us there. He ties us to a physical place. He ties us to a time. He says, in the world, of the earth, of Coquitlam, of your condominium, of your workplace, of your townhouse complex, of your shared parking lot, your salt, your light. We are meant to be different. We're meant to enhance. We're meant to, impre- meant to preserve, but we're also meant to be here. Jesus doesn't want to just take us out of it because it's hard. He wants us to partner with him. He wants you to join with him. Part of our duty in the new humanity as we think anew is to join God in his redemption of every aspect of this world. Jesus also calls us the light of the world. The light of the world. Oxford Dictionary says light. What is light? Defines light as something that radiates outward. Light is scent. That's its very nature. We measure things in light speed. It is the natural agent that stimulates sight and makes it visible makes things visible. It gives life and causes life to flourish. It sends energy. Um, I don't know if you guys have heard of a, an ancient philosopher named Cicero. Sometimes he's quoted in, in things. And he was a, lived about 100 years before Jesus Christ. He was partly responsible for the foundation of Rome, making Rome what it was in the world. And Cicero is very famous for saying that Rome... Rome is the light of the world. So about 100 years later, I don't think it's a coincidence that Jesus turns to these people who are living under Roman oppression, that are living under brute force of military might, that are being enslaved, that he says, look around. (laughs) Man, look around at the world. Is Rome the light of the world? Is it enhancing life? Is it making things flourish? For all its glory, pomp, and circumstance, is Rome the light of the world? No. And Jesus looks at radically ordinary people like you and me, people that are trying to think like him. And he says, you. That's amazing. You are the light of the world. You give vision to people. You make things flourish. You are the light of the world. And this light originates in God. That's another thing that we know about light, that God spoke light into the darkness, right? God spoke light into the darkness. Sometimes I think we often miss when we hear Jesus say, you are the light of the world. We forget that he also said that about himself. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. This is a feature of Jesus' preaching. He identified himself this way. In John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Listen to this. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The light of the world, Jesus Christ, who stimulates life, who who causes flourishing in our own lives, promotes vision, is from God. When we associate with him, when we step into the light, he, he calls, he gives us his moniker. He gives us his name. He gives us his title, his identity. He says, you're the you are the light. You're the light of the world. And when we follow him, we're made light and then become transmitters of light. 
This is the incredible and mysterious and wonderful reality that as we follow Jesus in this world, we enter into a deep and profound union with God. That Jesus gives us his light as we associate with him. And so far we've said that salt and light people align with Jesus. Secondly, we said that salt and light people identify as salt and light people. That's going to take us to our third point, last point today is that salt and light people experience transforming union with God. We experience transforming union with God. Up to this point, Jesus has spoken to us about our identity. He's spoken to you in particular, the one who would align with him, the one who would follow him. He's spoken to you about who you are, what you are, and the force now of his message moves on us, and it starts to become convicting. His preaching changes. And as we hear him, we see that the challenge of Jesus' preaching is for us now to live out externally what we know to be true intrinsically. This is the force of Jesus' sermon, to live on the outside what I am on the inside, to walk into this identity. Listen to how he says it in verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, Uh, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Your light must shine before people in such a way that they may see two things, your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So I just want to show you the logic of what Jesus is saying, okay? His, His ideas are progressing in parallels. He's saying, hey, salt is essentially salty. It does salt things, okay? Light does something. It enlightens. Christians do good things. So so as salt is salty, so light enlightens. And as light enlightens, so Christians do good things and glorify God. This is the very nature of what it means. This is what it means to be a Christian. So Jesus invites you and I today to enact out Our purpose, how? The first thing we got to do is embrace our identity. He's just like, he's just like a good father, okay? When I think of a a hard situation with my children, I imagine what would a great dad do right now, (laughs) okay? I think, okay, what would they do? So if your kid's in hiding, right? You've seen a child in hiding, they've done something wrong and they feel ashamed. How does a dad bring a child out of that? Identity and love, right? I'm your dad. I love you. Come on out. It's okay. I'll make it okay. Jesus is just like a good father. He's just like a great teacher who encourages a student. What, is a, what, do, what do great teachers do? They, believe, they help students believe in themselves, that they actually could accomplish this math problem that is, that's so hard for them. And how do they do it? They help them to believe that they can do it, that they are smart, that they're more than they think they are. This is just like Jesus. When Jesus tells us that we're salt and light, he's saying to us, you are so much more. Don't you see? You're so much more than what this world is telling you. You are the salt of the earth, man. You are the very light of the world. 
Would you use salt that has lost its saltiness? No. Would you try to hide a city on a hill? No. Okay. Would you try to hide a lamp under a basket? No. I would not try to do that. You wouldn't do that. The only way that you would do that is if you thought unrealistically about the nature of those things. Okay? So Jesus is saying, so it is with you. Don't you see? You're so much more than that. As you understand these things, you wouldn't dream about using them against their purpose. They have very specific purposes. They're created for a great thing. They bring life. They preserve. And so it is with you. But this is in part what it means for us to sin. We do this with everything. We miss the point, right? You know that? Sin is like, a, like an archer missing a target. And he misses the target and I sinned. Or we, we misuse something. We use something against the way that its nature is. And we do this, Jesus is arguing, with our very selves. But Jesus would say to us, you're treating yourself inordinately. You're treating yourself not as you ought to. That's not what you are. You have a wrong idea about what you are. You're way more than you think you are. An old church theologian said this once about sin. He said, sin is unwillingness to trust that God wants, that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Sin is unwillingness to trust that what God wants is our deepest happiness. Way deep beneath the deepest desire. That God really wants our deepest happiness. And until you and me are absolutely convinced of this, we're going to try and control our identity. We're going to try and control who we are and how we act. We won't be able to let go of it. We, we won't take our hands off the controls of our identity and our way of life until we get this. Until we stop sinning. So we stop thinking like a sin. We start to think anew. And so Jesus gives us an invitation to let go to let go of the controls, to receive an identity and therefore a purpose. To call reality what it is. That I'm salt and I'm light. And so would we embrace it? Jesus is saying that it's nonsense to use salt and light improperly. It's nonsense to continue that madness in your own life. That's not who you are. Don't reject the identity that God is calling you into. You will forever suffer outside the love of God. When we suffer in the love of God, we have great energy and perseverance to do good things for him. Don't reject the title Jesus is blessing you with. Instead, embrace it. How do you embrace it? I'll tell you how. You embrace it by surrender. This is how we embrace an identity. We surrender. We surrender ourselves to it. How does God help us do this? I think Jesus' kindness is <laughs> unthinkable. It's amazing how kind he is to us. He, he tells us everything that we need to know, and then he doesn't leave us there to figure it out on our own. He comes alongside us. He doesn't leave us to do the heavy lifting of changing ourselves. Have you ever struggled? You ever had like a terrible habit? You just struggle to break? You just cannot break it? Jesus doesn't want you to have to live like that. He wants to enter into every part of your life and help you with the heavy lifting. 
Instead, here's what Jesus is offering. He offers radical grace. In radical grace. And what I mean by that is grace like you have never known. He extends it to us all. He extends a promise. A promise of deep and incredible transformational union with God. Who's the source of all meaning? Who's the source of all understanding and reality? And what does he ask? He asks for our surrender. I think there's really two ways that people part from here. We come to this, we come to this teaching about Jesus, we encounter the gospel of God, and then we go on different paths of obedience. Some of us take the path of the gospel, and some of us take the path of dead religion. So here's, what I, here's how I would say this. We try to obey God in two different ways. The first way that people try to obey God is, is, a, is an old and overly ritualistic, dead religious way. They, the obedience that they have comes from willful determination. I will get through. Okay, that's the first way. We all go there. There's no shame. Okay, we all go there. The second way is the gospel. It is obedience of surrender to love. So there's two ways that we can follow Jesus. Obedience that comes from willful determination or obedience of surrender to love. In his book on this, David Benner, who's a psychologist, says, uh, he expands on it. He says, obedience that is the grudging fruit of willful determination does not give God any more pleasure than it gives a parent. However, obedience that flows from surrender is totally different. It's totally different. Rather than willpower and resolve, love is the motive. Love is the motive for what we will and what we do. He keeps going. He says, this is the pattern of genuine, of gospel, of genuine Christian spiritual formation. Such transformation always works from the inside out. And love is always its source, motivation and expression. And so this is what it means to be salt and light. To receive that identity by surrendering to it. We identify, we, we align ourselves with Jesus. We love his teaching. We love his love. We, we align ourselves with him. And then we, we begin to identify as he calls us. And the way that we do that is we begin our journey of spiritual transformation. We begin a journey of surrender. And then re-surrender. And then a deeper surrender. And re-surrender. And God continually transforms us into an integrated union with him. What I love about Jesus is he always ties the good work that he's calling us to, he always ties what he's saying we ought to be like to who we are. He always ties what he's calling you to do back to the identity he gave you. Okay? The good work in our lives that occurs from our surrender to him. The biblical authors say it this way, right? When we encounter the light and we walk in the light, we ourselves radiate the light of God. I didn't plan this. Okay, this is here every week. Okay? 1 John 1, 5. God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie. We're living a lie. 
and don't practice the truth. But if we walk with him as he leads, we walk with him in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship, community, love. Then we have one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What John is talking about in that passage is about honesty with God. This is what surrender looks like for you and for me. He's talking about surrender that's motivated by love. You're truthful with somebody when? (laughs) When you know they love you. He, like Jesus, is challenging us to live honestly with God. To live out externally what we know to be true intrinsically. To live on the outside like I am on the inside. So when we stop, so when we stop pretending that we have it all together. You know, I, I actually loved, I loved the, uh, the tenor of our, our pre-service meeting before. You know, everybody trying to get here in the parking and the craziness. And we're just, in our pre-service prayer, we're just real. So here's what's going on. It's kind of messy. I need help. I need prayer. I need life. That's, that's godly. That's good. To stop pretending that you have it all together because you don't. You don't always. Nobody does. When we rightly prioritize what other people think about us, what do I mean by that? We put what Jesus says first, and then we put what everybody else says. Okay, Jesus isn't in the mix. He's at the top, and he defines what everybody else says. When we, in honesty, open ourselves up to experience of God's love, when we're willing to be honest with him, when we surrender, we're powerfully transformed by that. You're brought deeper and deeper into union with God. Okay, I'll give you an absolute. Okay, listen. You can only stop pretending. You can only stop fearing others' opinions of you when you follow Jesus authentically. There isn't another way. The other way is self-deception. People will see when you do that, when you finally live authentically before Jesus, people will see your authenticity. People will see what God's doing in your life. They'll see the story of your, of your failures and your weaknesses change to glorifying God. And they'll, and they'll say, wow, how are you doing that? And they're going to watch what surrender looks like. Uh, an author once said that God can use the sinner that you are, but not the saint that you're pretending to be, okay? It doesn't work like that. He want, God wants to live in honesty with you. When we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him. You can be honest with God. Why? Because he loves you. He sees you as salt and light. And what he says about you matters more. So can you see how salt and light people experience transforming union with God. Can you see how this deeply profound love and being known by God drives spiritual transformation out of surrender? You are so much more than you think you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You think I'm talking to somebody else right now? I'm not talking to somebody else. Would you align your life with Jesus? I'm talking to you. Let go of the false self that you try so hard to perform into. Let it go. Nobody cares. And and if they do, who cares? God calls you salt and light. 
Embrace who you truly are. And man, get ready for the best ride of your life. It's a ride though, okay? Peaks and valleys, warning. Um, I would just ask you in this moment as we close, what, what lies do you need to let go of today? What's been spoken about you, about your identity that you need to let go of? That's not true. Think about it. If you're like me, you've got to write it down. That's not true about me. I'll ask you another question. What sort of experience do you need from God in order to know this? If you agree with what I'm saying, you're like, yeah, that's good, but I wish I, I, wish I could experience it. What do you need? If it's what you need, God will give it. What do you need to, 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 to feel like surrender is possible? Remember who you are. You're salt and light. John Wesley understood this, and he, he once said something I, I would love to read over us, and he, he's, he's really vamping on what Jesus has said, that you're so much more than you think you are, that you are salt and light. This is what John Wesley said. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw whether they be clergymen pastors or laymen, not pastors. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. Just a hundred. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, you and I are invited to begin to think about our humanity in an entirely different way. To, to see ourselves, to see yourself, man. To see yourself as salt. To see yourself as light. The very light of the world. And this only happens when you embrace Jesus. You align with him. You embrace the, idea, the ideas that he's saying, the identity that he tells you. Then you experience um, deeper union with God. So as you make space for God to do this in your life, here's what's going to happen. Okay, test me on this. Try it out. If you do this, if you make space for God to do, do this in your life, he's going to transform you to the point where your past failures become a God story. The things you're embarrassed about, the things you don't want anybody to know about, God's going to transform that, the worst thing, into the greatest story of God's work in your life, where people from various vantage points in your life are going to look on you, and they're going to wonder. They're going to say, that person's remarkable. What is going on? That person is salty. Right? That person is salt. That person is light. And that light is spotlighting God's amazing, transforming love. And people will be drawn to Jesus because of you. I'll just pray for us. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for what you call us to, to, yeah, to really align with you as you are, as Lord and Savior, to embrace what we are, what you say about us, that we're light. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth. Father, I pray for my friends today who, who don't feel like um, surrender is, is an option or even a need. Lord, I pray that you would show us our need for you. Lord, for those that, that have discovered a real, a real need here to no longer obey you out of willful determination, but to follow you out of a surrender to love.
Lord, I pray for um, incredible transformation in people's lives, that your spirit would work in us. Uh, It's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.